0: For nearly 40 years, he has delighted audiences with his wit, charm, sex appeal, and honesty. And now, you are invited to see one of the great actors of our time in a very special motion picture. Paramount Pictures presents Paul Newman. How about you and me go out there and get ourselves naked and then just see what happens?
1: Okay.
2: 60 years old, still getting crushes on other men's wives. I would hope
1: by the time I'm your age, I'm a little smarter than that. Can't hurt to hope. Sure off to a slow start. In a movie you can count on.
2: I could legally shoot you and get away with it.
1: To surprise
0: you at every turn. Not unless I'm breaking an enter.
2: Are you going to break an enter? <laughs> Does it ever bother you that you haven't done more with the life God gave you?
0: Not often. Now then. Nobody's Fool.
1: And now, when did that come out? Part of the Real Change Movie Podcast. Oh, I'll do the part where you know intro the show. We did that. It's it's the same every time. It's like oh that was about four hundred cigarettes ago. I, 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 what, you know what I miss is the intro pun that you used to do. Like no, thank you for getting into the foxhole. With us. <laughs> no, no, no. <sighs> thank you for face hugging the download <laughs> and uh, sprout, sprouting the egg.
2: Thanks for finding the dead body and <laughs> re- reflecting on by reflecting on your younger years. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs>
1: Oh, this is going to be a fun episode. Just ripping to my intros. I miss this so much. Thanks well, for getting into the cockpit and th- getting <laughs> Coming with <laughs> us into the danger zone. <laughs> Wait, we're doing Iron Eagle. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> we haven't done a movie lately where I could do a pun like that. Uh, but I used to think about it so much, like, yeah. that's the problem. That's I think that's another reason I ditched it. Um, Realize oh, this is the uh, intro This, 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 this will be the intro. intro. Okay. So, so welcome to what is now the final episode of Season 2 of When Did That Come I'm Out. We're doing this again. But, <laughs> it, we, we might have to go for a change of format. Yeah, but... Oh, no, I'm, no this is the final episode. Oh, this is the final episode it's ever? It. This it's is the series finale? <laughs> All right. So this is a bonus episode. So we get... We, typically we choose one movie for every month out of a certain year and um, this year we decided to end the season by going with uh, choices that we didn't either have time for or something that we wanted to talk about but we had to put aside for something we thought would be more interesting and, and today we're doing two movies my pick and will's pick my pick is Ron Howard's film the paper uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to do the, no. the,
2: the, the terrible wrestling fan who's still booed when they're, you know, they're like 30 or 35, 40 years old.
1: And Will's pick is going to be uh, Nobody's Fool uh, from 1994 as well. Uh, and I guess we're going to start with Nobody's Fool. It's not the 1986 one. Did you know there's a 2018 one with Tiffany Haddish?
2: Yeah. Is it about... Nah, is, is, is she, it, is she, she playing Paul Newman? Paul Newman. She's, playing Paul Newman. <laughs> She's playing Paul Newman. She's playing Paul Newman. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing that's changed. Everyone else has been brought back. They dug Even Jessica judged, Tandy up? <laughs> Jessica Tandy's propped up in
1: the chair. Digging up Miss <laughs> oh, Daisy. All right, so let's delve into this. Um... I had never seen this before. This was always on my list. Will, You Chose Nobody's Fool? Yeah. So, let's go Nobody's into it. Nobody's Fool
2: comes out in December. I believe it comes out in December of 94 because it's uh it is definitely like one of the, it was one of the Oscar um heavy I, I'm not I'll say Oscar middleweight because I mean we know what the Oscar heavyweights are for 94.
1: It's yeah, the top three: is Shawshank and Forrest.
2: Even one that we covered, Quisho, is still probably in that run as well. But there was it. This is still that interesting period, like that's that's really cropping up in the '90s, where there's a lot of like middle-rung movies that are maybe not some. Well, some of them are independents, and some of them are just like um, semi-lower budget. This is still 15. I think this is a 15-20 million dollar movie, so it's still fairly expensive, but. You get a lot more of these these adult dramas that are popping up that are really good. Like, they're really strong. Because when you look at, like, 1986, for example, like, 86 is an awesome year. It may be the quintessential movie year of all time because it's got everything that you could possibly want.
1: So every genre is pretty much covered. Yeah, that's true. But these types of movies are not really strong during that period. I noticed, uh, looking at the Rotten Tomato positive reviews a lo- that were of the time, a lot of people were saying... This is the kind of film that they don't make anymore,
2: right? And now in twenty nineteen, they don't. They definitely don't make this movie anymore. Or if they do, it's. And I think this will be a theme between both movies. It's a lot more cynical. Yeah, uh, probably... the last
1: one I remember was um, Harry Dean Stanton's last movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. I which heard about is that. very much like this, only not nearly as good. They could, man, can you imagine, I, he would have
2: been great in this movie.
1: As, like, uh, one of the other people in the town, he would have been a great, Oh, like, he's always, want, like, the guy in the town, like, yeah, yeah, old, yeah. reliable. Yeah. yeah. that's what Harry Dean Stanton's for. But that that was the interesting selling point of that movie, was he's starring in this? Like, he never stars in a movie. Right. Yeah. You know? I do always love his bit in Avengers. Like, the fact that
2: Harry Dean Stanton oh, is oh, in with the, the Avengers. Hulk. Yeah. Oh, I always forget about and that. It's, and it's, like, you know, it it he's just a security guard, but, like, it's a... I think he may have a problem, young man.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He was great. And, you know, I think he would have been around the same age as Paul Newman. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I think because Harry Dean Stanton lived to be like 92. Yeah. But movie for maybe another time. Jesus. It's a depressing movie. The Avengers? No. No, <laughs> no. Oh, uh, oh, the the Stanton. The, the Stan- I don't even remember the name of it. Uh, that's that's much of an, uh, an impact it left on me. Battlestar Stanton. It's Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Harry Dean Stanton. Well, Stanton was always great in movies like uh, Escape from New York when he played uh, what, what, Brain. Yeah, yeah a lot, like yeah. he was great in those types of roles. Uh, Paul Newman.
2: This is definitely uh, a showcase for him. Oh. the first thing I wrote in my outline is this is his Unforgiven, and the reason I and there's a reason I say that. Well, first of all, it's like like all things in Hollywood. When Unforgiven hits, Unforgiven is like it, it, there are a billion things you can say about Unforgiven. One of them, though, is it's a great third act Clint Eastwood character movie where you could take this and attach it to multiple characters that he that he played in like in the '60s or '70s, and it would probably fit pretty well as a, a a Twilight Years story of one of his previous characters. The same thing is said here, Paul Newman. Coming into this movie, first off, this will this movie becomes his eighth Academy Award acting nomination. He also has a Best Picture uh, nomination from Rachel Rachel um, early in his career. I think it even predate, I forget what year it is. He also has an honorary Oscar he gets, and he'll be nominated again after this for Road to Perdition. But this is his eighth Academy Award acting nomination. When you go back and look at the ones that he's been nominated for, The Hustler, Hud, Cool Hand, Luke, those three alone... Donald Sull- Sullivan, the character he plays in the Sully, is not far off from them. In a lot of ways, this this could very easily be... the Paul, Because the Paul Newman character, the best Paul Newman you could always get was this kind of against the grain... Against the grain, against authority type of individual. And I stress individual. Like, won't be tied down by anything. Like, he is going to do things his way. That plugs in perfectly to Donald Sullivan. I think that's part of the success of this movie is just that this is a perfect archetype form. And it's a return to form because like when you get the the third act of Newman's career, I I I kick it off with The Verdict. Like once he does The Verdict, he goes into another level. And The Verdict is amazing. Like mm-hmm. it's an unbelievable performance. And I think nobody's fool kind of brings him back a lot of ways to those characters. Um the um the thing that's so to break down what this is basically about, like this is a slice of life story. This takes place. This is you could enter this into if you want to have a Thanksgiving category of movies. You could put this in there if you want a a, a Christmas New Year's movie. Here's one for you. Thanksgiving it's, movie. Yeah, it, I guess because it yeah. it's it's just, it takes place like it's basically takes place over this like one to a month to a month and a half period in November. Yeah, it's pretty much like I think it ends on New Year's Day or something. Yeah, it goes right? from like
1: the week before. Thanksgiving to the uh, week after Christmas.
2: Paul Newman plays, I, I mean, I guess I'll call him a down on his luck. He's not that down on his luck. but he's, If he is, he's been his whole life. Right. Yeah. <laughs> North Bath, New York, which doesn't exist, but it's basically like Poughkeepsie. Mm-hmm. One of those areas where it's like the dead of winter. And it is, it looks, you feel cold yeah. looking at it. Uh, construction worker has an awful knee that's just been destroyed. So he's limping the entire time. He's trying to just make ends meet with work. He lives with his former 8th grade English teacher or 8th grade teacher. He lives, like, uh, in the room, in one of the rooms upstairs. And really, like, what we're dropped into is, like, he runs into his son just before Thanksgiving who he hasn't seen, I think, they say in years. But basically, he walked out on him when he was a child. Yeah. You know, left his mom, too, so now he's... But the funny thing is he left, but he still lives in the same town, which is a classic... I, I can't tell you how many... Now I've run to so many people from the north, like this happens so often. Yeah,
1: he <laughs> actually has a line where uh, his son, asked, played by Dylan Walsh, asks him, when's the last time you saw mom?" And He says, it's been years. And he goes, you guys live in the same town. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he... <laughs> yeah. And so now he's got
2: to deal with a he's trying to get work he and it's funny he's trying to get work from the guy he's trying to sue for money that is that's one of that was a nice twist (laughs) we'll get there's there's more to chew on that bone in a little bit but as he's as he's trying to navigate through that he runs into his son and then it it starts to kind of everything starts to kind of cascade into this what basically is this guy going to do with the remaining years of his life because he at the same time, like he's not like near death, but he's definitely like in his sixties, and it should be said he's playing ten years
1: younger than he actually was in real life. Yeah, and it, but it's believable. Paul yeah. Newman aged so well. Yeah, yeah, it's believable that he's sixty. Yeah, and this is when we
2: get into this. These different, like, this is a small town movie, and it's about small town characters, and it's about how this one guy kind of like is this binding force and who doesn't want to be, but ends up being one in a lot of ways. It's, it's, uh, I think now you just, you have to start getting into the people in this. So like we see, you said, Dylan Walsh, he plays his son. You know, I, I was laughing cause I was like, this was his little period of time before he would do nip-tuck years later. He has like this in That's nip-tuck. Right. And he plays Paul Newman's son and he's all right. Miscast, would you say? He's, well, did you so Robert Benton is the director. Robert right. writer and director based off book by I think Richard Russo. I've never read it. Right. Um <clears throat> Do you know who his you know who his dream cast was for this? Mm-mm. All right. So Newman obviously for Sully. Uh Melanie Griffith is in this movie as well playing I I'm going to we'll say it's a love interest it is. It's a weird kind of love interest. Like It's it, an
1: unrequited love interest.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um the and, Bruce Willis is in this movie. We'll just go ahead and get to it now. He plays the construction owner that that Paul Newman is
1: Friend It's simultaneously friends it's so with bizarre. and like hates and he, like. The... <laughs> like he makes fun of him for the lawyer he got. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> so I, I
2: mentioned those three now because so you had Dylan Walsh playing his son, Bruce Willis playing like his friend, boss, enemy, whatever, and Melanie Griffin playing the um, love interest, wife of Bruce Willis in this movie. For the part of Dylan Walsh, you wanted Jeff Bridges. You want Jeff Bridges... Much to, better. Oh, it's immediately... Immediately,
1: because Dylan Walsh just doesn't do anything with it. No, he, in fact, he's I would, just whiny. Well, I've, it's it's in your notes, but, and we'll get to it later, but in terms of the adult actors, Dylan Walsh, I think, is the weak link. He's just completely Cause, cause, out of his league. All right, so it, this...
2: The thing I have the biggest problem with, with him in this movie, and I felt this as a kid. I've seen this movie a lot. I remember my mom loved this movie. This was a movie that, like, it took me some years to really get acquired with. Because,
1: look, when I'm 13, I'm not really looking to watch this. I'd rather no. watch Die Hard
2: with a Vengeance. Let's right. just face it. That's where I'm at. No,
1: yeah. I remember that that period of time where you were a kid and you didn't want to see Bruce Willis not shoot a gun. Right, It yeah. just seemed weird. So, um,
2: where I was going with that was... Okay, but something I picked up, e- up even then is Dylan Walsh, like... Every single conversation with Paul Newman's like, do you ever think about me when you're g-? like, everything comes back
1: to you like you left me, you it's left surface me, you left level me. stuff, and I'm just like, dude. Like he never goes, and it's not his fault; it's the writing. Yeah, but he never goes into exactly what his father leaving him meant to him, right? And, and how it damaged him. He just says that surface level stuff, right? And yeah, and yeah, and like the first couple times it's fine, but it's the whole movie that he does that.
2: He wanted Jeff Bridges to
1: play that part. That's
2: awesome. For the Melanie Griffin part, um, he wanted Kim Basinger, who he had worked with, and I was like, "This I can would see have been, it. yeah, she would have been absolutely gorgeous." Because, and I mean, no doubt about it, she would have like been probably. Neck and neck with Melanie Griffith in terms of looks. I don't think she fits this. I love what
1: Melanie Griffith does with the character. She's pretty much perfectly cast. Yeah, uh, I, I, because I can. Be... That's the thing, and this ties into Bruce Willis. I can believe that Melanie Griffith is in the situation she's in. Yeah, absolutely. I can believe that.
2: Because you know, a lot of times she gets criticized, and man, I had, I, I had forgotten about her arc after, like in, like as the '90s into the 2000s. No money. How, like it, it kind of. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's weird. Like she. Um, she marries Antonio. I didn't realize they, just, they got divorced like three years ago. Yeah. What an arc! Don Johnson and Antonio Banderas and Dakota Johnson are like killing it right now that's in this yeah. year. Yeah. Where's Melanie Griffith? Good point. She's <laughs> releasing lingerie photos on uh, Instagram or whatever. Hey, you go, right? ch- hey, go check that. out. All right. <laughs> uh, uh, but um, he won a Kim Basinger for. I agree with you. I I, I don't think it works as well. She has great here's chemistry the, with Paul Newman. Here's one where, man, I I have to if I have to pick one or the other, I think it's an upgrade for the part of Carl. Where Bruce, Bruce Willis, works, was? Nick Nolte. I was like, <gasps> oh yeah, No,
1: okay, all right. Let's get it out of the way now because that is perfect. <laughs> the the way that this character is written, it's very and it's nothing against Bruce Willis. I think Bruce Willis actually does a really good job in this movie. But the way this character is written, there is a persona attached to Bruce Willis. It's much. I always go back to that, um, or at least I have been, that monologue that Al Pacino gives in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to Leonardo DiCaprio about the way audiences perceive you. Yeah. It's very hard to believe that Bruce Willis is the, in this movie is the kind of character that couldn't make it on his own. Because Paul Newman has a line about how basically everything that uh, Bruce Willis has is given to him by his father. And it's like, really? This, this guy couldn't right. get it done on his own? Now, Nick Nolte... Who plays downtrodden oh yeah yeah like and this is like still like when he's like he looks good oh he looks oh 94 see that that was a movie we almost picked too because he had a movie in 94 uh what was it i'll I'll do anything that movie about him and his daughter there's that well there's also i love trouble
2: that's when i was thinking around the time period yeah is that 94 as well that's
1: 94 Uh, i considered it but i remember it as a kid and hated it but nolte you know he still had that those movie star good looks yeah i would have loved to have seen him
2: in this especially movie. him and paul newman like going head Pe- to head. heavyweights yeah 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 because then you do one with redford like a couple of years ago nolte and redford they did one together oh the um yeah the, oh, the, like, the appalachian
1: mean, trail movie yeah, or whatever yeah. you know they go to find themselves or yeah oh yeah it was, it was one of purpose those for it's men it's the purpose <laughs> for yeah, yeah, yeah
2: it was the male <laughs> version of the purpose um so the reason I, so it's important to talk about the cast because this movie is just literally like there are a couple of like b plots like small ones in here like let's we can get to um, Jessica Tandy who plays the his his landlord with her son played by uh, Joseph summer yeah. M-
1: Mr. Ducksworth yeah um,
2: or the President X three he's horrible yeah he's he's horrible
1: he's, I I don't think he's very good in this movie even he, this movie he's I he's Ducksworth like he's he will just oh Duxworth. he's great as Ducksworth. <laughs> Yeah, um, you don't have it here. I can never remember this actor's name, but the one crazy eyes, the one with crazy eyes, <laughs> who we've I we've seen him in so many movies. Identity, Identity yeah. is the movie that I most remember him yeah. for. Um, but he has a weird subplot that I don't think is fully explored. I think he truly views like he says that uh, him and Paul Newman are like best friends. Yeah, but he acts like Paul Newman is like his surrogate father, and when Dylan Walsh. Paul Newman's son gets into the picture. He gets very jealous, in a very odd way, yeah. and, and it's just kind of it's just kind of left after a while. Like, nope, you're my best friend. Oh, Okay, I don't have it later. I guess it's more like th- these small towns are fascinating because
2: it everybody just knows everybody. Everybody chips in with everybody. It's it's one of those things growing up here in the south. Like I, this, I'm I'm not. This is not where I kind of grew up. This type of environment. No. Amanda, yes, like where she lived was like this. It's very similar, like in the and up, like well, I it was uh, Western Pennsylvania. It's very similar, and I'm sure even in Ohio, it's not too different either.
1: I would actually say, um, in Greer, it's kind of like that. Yeah, but not like this. Yeah, where like I, told, I love that line about oh, I love small towns. Because like,
2: like you see a poker scene where like it's Paul Newman or Paul Newman, yeah, yeah, so you have Sully, you have his lawyer with one leg, you have the town ta- of uh, the chief of police. Right. You have the town doctor. Yep.
1: You have... Um, Bruce is in it. Bruce, who... <laughs> oh, because, and, and his naked secretary yeah, or yeah. whatever's going so on like, there.
2: So, and, like, and, like, the only person who just seems to, like, like not like this town, really, is Philip Seymour Hoffman, who pops up as, <laughs> like, the 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 cop who... I hope you get laid. <laughs> and just, there it is. It's my, my mom would die lap when that chief is just like, shut the fuck up, Raymer. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the... It's thing. a great moment. Yeah, oh, and the judge, Philip Bosco, that dude. Love Ma- him. Detective Mankiewicz is what I always think of. Him from, <laughs> Mank- you know, from Can Man- I hold the baby? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that guy's awesome. He is one of those like, you know, older. Don't ask him to do too much. Just he he can be the dad, or he can be some just somebody elderly in the movie. Right. He is a perfect plug-in.
1: Yeah, he's very believable as a judge.
2: Yeah, I mean, like that's what's so cool is that you just have all these you have and what and and the thing that's just important to say is like as Paul this movie begins. Paul Newman has basically, like, discarded any real fam- familial responsibility throughout his entire life. Yet, everybody in this town, like, looks to him for stuff. Like, a classic example is, like, when um, the, the I guess I'll call her the waitress. I forget. Who, her oh, that's,
1: mom. Uh, are you talking about the When the Ray Bar- Finkel's the mom bartender. escapes. Oh.
2: <laughs> Laces out. Yeah when ray finkel's mom like walks out and you know she clearly has either alzheimers or something she's just walking down the street i feel like this is her character for life yeah <laughs> and paul newman just like is the is the person they look to to go get her with his bad leg with his bad leg with like he doesn't have a coat on no shoes out in the snow he mcleans his way through the like ice just to get her and then brings her back and what does he do he puts on an apron to serve food in the diner I
1: love that scene actually that's a small <laughs> town like thing that's just like, and, and, and like Joseph Summer comes I in I love that and just starts like arguing with Paul Newman Paul Newman just like hands him a plate and he's like Can you, yeah give make, that to Jocko give that to Jocko and oh he likes ketchup <laughs> and just K-
2: ketchup stays here is my favorite ketchup stays here <laughs>
1: here like that's a great little scene because it it, it, because once again that ties in with the small town thing and just like everybody knows everybody
2: and that's that's one of the neat everybody helps
1: everybody i almost wish this was developed
2: more because he is the one person who's trying to reject the small town it's the
1: joseph some clive peoples jr jessica tandy's son is who he plays so yeah he's mr potter basically right uh, from it's a wonderful life so yeah there's a we keep seeing these signs for, like, the home of this... Uh, I forget the name of it. Uh, it's This amusement park, was, yeah. a theme park. Yeah. And basically, uh, he has investors that have invested millions upon millions of dollars in building a theme park there, and it's going to amp up the revenue. Who are classic arc- archetypal investors. Like, their oil, their, their they're, they're the their oil... They're classical oil barons
2: from Texas is right. what they are framed
1: as. Yeah, if they uh, if they decide to uh, renege on the offer... And, yeah, in a stereotypical type of way when it's like, well, why are you doing that? (laughs) Because we can't. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's the only reason we're really given. It's one of those things that, like,
2: it's not quite the ending of Trading Places, which I've had to... I've sent you articles. I still don't get it. I read the whole thing. I still don't get it. It's really... it's, And it's crazy that, like, we forgive it because it's just... Because everything else in the movie works up to that point. (laughs) I can forgive it. So It's like that. He is... He works at the bank. He is, well, they keep, he, Paul Newman jokingly calls him the bank. And he's trying to get people in town to invest in this really, like, just, like, dirt, this this land that is right. seemingly valueless, but now will become valuable once this amusement park comes in. It's your typical thing where, like, the property value will skyrocket because now you have this thing in town. But once that thing pulls, all these people all the own this good. land. These people have bought this. There's nothing going to happen to it. It's it's a weird thing that happens with him because he just like leaves the movie. He gets away with it. He just leaves the movie.
1: Yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, he skipped town. Right, and the movie. And the Yeah, he just leaves. <laughs>
2: and it's crazy. And then it, it's, like I said, it's almost something I wish was a bigger part of the movie because this is a movie, like, I, although I love it, and it's a great arc in terms of Paul Newman, we're going to get to just a couple other things about how he interacts with her, but this is about his growth as a person over this short period of time where by the end of the movie he is in a better place in terms of he has a son, he has a grand he has grandchildren and he has uh you know he's got these people in this town like it the town matters to him this whole living here and these people matter to him. What would have been interesting is to see some stakes though because there aren't really any stakes like there's nothing in this movie that if it happens, Paul Newman's in trouble, like, or he's down for the count.
1: I mean, the most trouble he gets into is when he punches out Philip Seymour Hoffman, which right. I totally agree with Paul Newman on. <laughs> like, I actually, like, said, what the... F-? Like, like when Hoffman shot him. the gun. I was like, what is this? So he has to go to jail for a couple of days. Um, so, But other than that, he's not really in any trouble. I like that scene that I love where they let him out of jail for, like, an hour just to be a pallbearer. <laughs> and then he goes right back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, there's a couple of things in this movie that are just... I like how the movie sets up things that I've seen in many movies and then resolves them in completely different ways that I'm used to. Like, so, oh, like we may be getting a divorce. Okay, that's interesting. Now, wait a minute. So, there's his son, Dylan Walsh, is possibly separating from his wife. They have two children. Why is one parent getting one child and the other parent getting the other? This is one of the most interesting things in the movie, and it's never, like, really, like, talked about. This would be so odd... Yeah, it's it's interesting that like
2: they all takes like this is so it's so cliche that in movies that like all takes is like one phone call and like like yeah and it's it's not like one phone call like one phone call can fix things it can fix something this movie's like yeah bro it fixes everything it fixed every I've lost my job but doesn't matter because and, and you know because that's the other thing that like they it's like yeah I'm a professor but now I've been fired
1: from. Yeah, I can't do that anymore. How Can I come work with you? Is it's minim, minimum wage? Yeah, a little bit better. Hey, I'm thinking about getting an apartment for me and uh, the boy. Oh, that's great. And then, well, I'm leaving all of it, and it's just yeah, it's life doesn't work like this. And I mean,
2: it's supposed, it supposed doesn't. It's <laughs> interesting in the way that Paul Newman has to help fix a problem that, like, basically he started along, like he he helped contribute to, and has faced himself in
1: terms of a, a family splitting up, a
2: marriage splitting up, all of those types of things.
1: I really so, like that the movie doesn't go over the top with showing us like what a bastard Paul Newman is, because oh, yeah. like what he did was really crappy. But you can tell, like at least the way that he plays it, that he's a good dude. Yeah, because like I, I've known guys that have left their families and, and abandoned them, and you just think that they're just complete pricks. There, I said prick. Uh, so you think about that, and then you see someone like Paul Newman. It's like you know what? Like people are a lot more complicated than you know, just surface level stuff and, and things like you know, something drastic like leaving your family. It's like, oh that guy's awful. It's like, well there's yeah, what he did was awful, but there's probably a lot more to him yeah. than just that. And Newman's acting is, is truly what carries the movie. Oh yeah. He's he, in every
2: scene of the movie. He,
1: I think I didn't he notice is, right? that until you had written that and or or sent that over to me. I think you're right. That's hard. Like I mean, that is... like even even the Thanksgiving scene which he just pops up in just for a second and then dips out. He's in that scene. Yeah, like it's just and he makes it look so effortless, and it's it's frustrating, <laughs> like like to see a guy that just uh, basically just lives on screen, and that's what's so cool about the performance is that it's not it, it's the kind of acting that I always aspired to. Nothing that's too showy, like oh, it's not a, I don't get to be quirky. It's just naturalism done incredibly well yeah. by a true natural. He like you know he comes up the same
2: period of time as Brando but like yep. they couldn't go m- any more different than I they much did. prefer Paul Newman's way of doing things cuz well like he just made better choices like he was smart we'll about to, what he yeah. did you know like and and obviously in his personal life he didn't get himself into trouble to where he had to take like basically he doesn't have to do the island of Doctor Moreau
1: No no he doesn't do that and and he was smart to be, be an entrepreneur Yeah and, oh yeah And then when you I mean you oh, find out yeah. about his charity work which like, is still going on It's Astounding! Yeah. Like his charity work is like up to like five hundred thirty-five million. You got to see the doc about him just as a race car driver.
2: Oh, I, I'd love to see that it. Paul so Newman good.
1: lived a fascinating life, yeah. uh, and he, I mean, it really seemed like he lived to the fullest. And
2: and I, there's there's some I think something mean, it's really cool he brings the movie. So you know, he lost his son. He lost so he you know he's. I think he there there were some things he could bring to this, like in, in a way that like sort of the 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 pain that Sully harbors. And I think this leans into what the acting, like the scene, the two scenes in the house, the one outside. the <laughs> I house. I was just going to bring it up. And the one inside the house, like the, so he, <laughs> since this is a small town, not only has Paul Newman lived here, he's grown up here. So the house that he grew up in is completely deteriorated, almost to the point of like, it just seems to be leveled and started and completely rebuilt. But he still, he, we see him park outside of it and it's not, it's not revealed early on, but he sits there and just the way the score kicks in and it's you can tell there's a lot going on here there's a lot of pent up feelings with it and i can't say it enough like i was telling you this yesterday if that movie this movie's done now there's all this BS that's going to be with it, like you have voiceovers, you have all this, you have all this stuff to make, like, you, hey, audience person, do you understand yeah. that we're you, feeling something here? They, they
1: might overcomplicate it. This is and as simple as it It's gets. a very simple story, and that's probably my favorite. Well, no, it's my second favorite. Uh, I love that scene when he's inside the house with mm-hmm. Bruce Willis. And Bruce Willis is, doesn't really realize the gravity of having Paul Newman standing in that house where his father was abusive and yeah. stuff. And the the director, Robert Benton, yeah. he makes a very wise choice uh, while Bruce Willis is just kind of t- basically talking out of his ass. Talking about, oh, if you, you can sell me the wood or and I'll give you a good price for it. Through most of Bruce Willis's dialogue, the camera's not on Bruce Willis. It's on Paul Newman. Because you can tell Paul Newman isn't really hearing a word of this. Right. And it's so right. good. It's also
2: chastising him for letting it go to crap. Right. But it's and that's not the registered. irony is like yeah. the irony is like, you know, no, man. Like this, this place represents nothing but awful for him. So mm-hmm. it's in the condition that he sees it in, right? And that makes sense. It's so. in the condition
1: of how he feels on the inside,
2: right? right. Which is a neat, a neat arc by the end of it. Like how, like where they leave that, which is really neat. That like now, you know, be, literally, like this is a literal personification of his growth, because now he's gonna re- rebuild that. Yeah, property. I
1: interpreted it as. Um, you can you can fix something that's broken.
2: Yeah, literally, literally you yeah. can.
1: And it, because it means two different things, yeah, uh, you know, like you said, for the house and for him. And uh, yeah, because the end of the movie, uh, you, you learn that Jessica Tandy uh, bought the house. Yeah, and it makes him mad at first, but then he kind of right. grows to appreciate it. Uh, the my favorite scene in the movie. Cause I really wanted to talk to you about it. That's why I called you yesterday. I the, the scene where he almost goes away with Melanie Griffith it's, is so so they're touching. Their stuff is weird because like at first like you just think it's kind of just flirty, right? But it, like like you find whoa, there's some stuff here. So let's talk about that one scene. Okay, so <laughs> Paul Newman uh, finds Melanie Griffith in Bruce Willis's office, makes a mention about how. Uh, Bruce's usual secretary wears like skimpy clothing, like lingerie, and just out of the blue, Melanie Griffith lifts up her sweatshirt, and <laughs> it's a topless shot, and it's just shocking, because uh, you're not expecting it, <laughs> and Paul Newman's reaction is so genuinely good. Uh, just well, <laughs> that happened. Like he doesn't really say anything; he just kind of laughs it off and walks out. And as as I've gotten older, I've grown to really hate nudity in film i find it to be almost border I, I sound very conservative like when i talk about this you do but i it's okay but i I mean it's, okay. like, I don't, I mean, it's if just that's something that's feel, changed over time um i find it to be gratuitous i don't need to see couples having sex in bed i just don't need to see that because all i think about really is well those actors must have been so uncomfortable <laughs> you're thinking, about from, thinking about from the production i'm thinking about from the production standpoint and this is so tastefully done yeah and, and I think it adds so much to the story because that's the moment where it goes from, oh, the audience thinking, oh, this is just a flirtatious kind of thing. And this one thing where she just lifts up her shirt for just a second tells me that it's completely different. Like, the, 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 the their story for me changes with that. And it, it helped ease me into that scene where they almost leave.
2: It is so good. There, there are two really small, cool things in that scene, too, where, like... like the grandson's trying to talk to him and like he won't mention yeah. that it's his grandson
1: in front of her. So I make, do make... thank you for mentioning. Yeah. And he actually almost hides his grandson. <laughs> because so then when he says hey this is my, uh Yeah, he just <laughs> Like he doesn't want to admit he's a grandfather because yeah, that may makes you sound old. And But, I mean, even though there is an age difference here between Melanie Griffith and Paul Newman, Paul Newman is just so damn likable in the movie through his real personality, I assume, because that seems to be how he does his performances, that you don't have a problem with it. And it just shines through. And, like I said... That that scene it just made the movie for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just wasn't expecting it uh, out at the truck because they almost leave to go to Hawaii, and Bruce Willis just kind of taunts him. Because because
2: Bruce cheats on Melanie Griffith with countless secretaries so while finally, Melanie's pregnant. Right, and that's the whole thing is like she's finally reached that breaking point where she's gonna go. The third act is weird. Like there are two. Qui- there's two things that like I think are interesting to talk about this movie. The third act is like this. Wow, ev- like basically the the lucky roles all go Paul Newman's way by the end of the movie. We're like, literally there's like five great things that happen to him within like five minutes of the movie. And it's like, Whoa, Whoa, oh, Whoa. The, whoa. the, the money, the, money. The, yeah.
1: the house, the house, um, yeah. um, just, uh, what? Uh, wait, wait, oh, wait.
2: Well, his, his, his son, I, 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 I rope in his son getting like his son,
1: his son's going to get his life together. Yeah. Um, you see him like, Oh, oh, crazy oh, oh, oh his grandson. There's a great scene with oh, his grandson yeah. where his grandson is terrified of the prosthetic leg. And there is a great scene. These scenes are always complicated to do mm-hmm. where, where you try to have an older character uh, present wisdom. And because and, they have to do it different in every movie because we can't see the same thing. So I always think back to Jack Palance's one thing dialogue from city slickers Mm -hmm. that's like the ultimate to me Mm -hmm. and so this is well if you can just time yourself and be brave for one minute it's like oh oh it's this thing yeah but they incorporate it into the story with the prosthetic leg and it's this great little it's like the first time like it truly feels like he's being a father but it's to his grandson which his actual son actually resents at one point in the movie like you can be such a good grandfather but you can't be a good father right Now, now you mentioned it in your notes i wanted to talk to you about it do you have a problem with the grandkids? I think I, I, well, I, that toilet scene alone. I,
2: well, I, no. Okay. How so long is that? Kids. Uh... I, I think the kid who plays Will like is asked to do a lot. Like there, he he gets he has some heavy stuff to deliver. Like when he has to break down, like basically how they're going to be living apart and all that. Like that kid's got to explain that. And you know what? You were talking about like with bed scenes. I think about it like when I'm watching. Like I'm like, okay, you can tell we're like they're trying to make up for an issue. The camera's on Paul Newman the whole time that kid's talking. Ooh, So that's so a ad- kid might not have ADR. been able to memorize no, the lines. No. That's <laughs> ADR. that, that, that is complete. And, and Paul Newman that's again, is like, all right, well, I'll carry this scene too. <laughs> and, and I just, I feel, I feel bad. It's just one of those things like when you have, when you have a child, when you're, you're going to have a scene with a child in a movie, especially a heavy drama like this, man, you got to cast well to be able to nail those types of scenes. That, they salvage it clearly, and that kid—that kid does all right later. Like the, He's the scene okay. with the watch,
1: I do is, love it. Is good,
2: is good. I feel bad when that kid is asked to have to do dialogue because that's when you can tell it's like, man, this must have been.
1: I feel like maybe they were they wanted dude. the kid from uh, Perfect World. There you go. But he yeah. was busy doing Perfect World. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because right. uh, asking a kid, because how old is that kid? Six, yeah, seven, something like that. That's can't hard. be doing this. Not that type of Not dialogue. Not this type. No. All right.
2: I wonder about the Bruce Willis thing because I do think like this is this weird Bruce period. All right. After, I mean, it felt like as soon as he did Die Hard, he didn't want to do Die Hard ever again. Right. right? He wanted to like he wanted to do the Harrison Ford or w- w- insert any other actor that boomed off of something that like was going to have like this massive following. Oh, so like, you nope, do nope, nope,
1: Star I'm, Wars and Raiders, and then you go do Witness. I want to yeah, yeah. I want to yeah. get away from that. I want to get away yeah. from
2: it. And it feels like basically after Die Hard 2, it's like. All right, I
1: want to, don't want to do movies where I'm holding a gun anymore. Hudson Hawk. You know, in Striking Distance, all that stuff. Oh, yeah, because Last Boy Scout. I mean, yeah. So so what, what year did Color and Night come out? Is that 93? It's either 92 or 93. Where I don't like always think thriller. it's like Night. Oh, the, isn't that Melanie Griffith, too? Uh, I don't know. I know I it's Tom remember. Hanks, but... In the Color of Night? Isn't that, isn't that Tom Hanks? It's Bruce Willis. But is it... What's the movie where Bruce Willis is co-starring with a major A-list actor? There is one of those. Uh, I'm getting thrown well, here. Well, while while Will's looking that up, he also does. Um, this was an interesting choice. He did Death Becomes Her, right? The Robert Zemeckis right, flick. Right. And if you've seen that movie, Bruce Willis is so bizarre in that movie. And you've come to find out that he wasn't the first choice. It was actually uh, Richard Gere, and Richard Gere might have worked better. Like like Bruce Willis's comedy skills are actually very underrated. Um, I always forget the, about Blind Date. Oh, yeah. yeah and that came out goal. the year before Die Hard. But... The, oh, Bonfire of the Vanities. Oh, right. That's it. Uh, <laughs>
2: Bonfire of the Vanities. Well, of course, North as well. He's, you know, from, from wow. this season. So
1: Bruce Willis has three movies this year. Pulp yeah. Fiction, North, and this. Yeah. You couldn't get any
2: different. The Color of Night. Where is that? Let me find that real quick.
1: That's the one I... like. It is... Not, that's 94. <laughs> color of night? He he's, was really trying. Really, he was really working. And and, yeah. and you know, I I I really do think Bruce is underrated. I think Bruce is phenomenal in pulp fiction. I I think he's so he's great. The problem with that is that he's overshadowed so largely by Samuel Jackson yeah. and John Travolta. It's weird to think that like
2: 94, 95 is a comeback period for Bruce because it does feel like he kind of like dips even though, but, the, yeah. but that's the crazy thing about this is he's unbuilding this. He he doesn't take the his fifteen million dollars yeah, salary. he, he, he took
1: this. the sag. Uh, yeah, f- yeah,
2: fourteen hundred a week or whatever they, it was. I, I didn't realize I was like they avoided using him in trailers because they didn't like because he's a persona. Like his action persona is what they thought would overwhelm.
1: It's funny that we're talking about this because Bruce Willis j- just did it again. Um, he did. I think he did the exact same thing for Motherless Brooklyn. The, oh, The new yeah. Edward Norton movie. I do want to see that. I do, too. I do, too. I do. Yeah. 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 Two hours and 22 minutes. I don't know why it's so long. Well, oh, Edward it, it's Norton. It's a passion project. Yeah. Passion well, project. When we get into that yeah. stuff. So, yeah, and I remember when I first heard about that movie, was during Bruce Willis's roast. And I was like, oh, I got I to got, wait for this movie to come out. Because Bruce, he, man, like, because so, Diary of the Vengeance comes out in 95, and then I believe he does 12 Monkeys. Yeah. But he's still stuck. He yeah, still he, does, like, be, Mercury Rising. Yeah. And the yeah. Jackal. I was yeah. like, well, I can hold a gun, but, but at least I'll be the villain. Right. And it's it not until so Sixth Sense that, like... And he should have been nominated for that.
2: And I would say the combination of Six Sense and the whole nine
1: yards helps. Yeah. Which, that was probably his last... Well, he also does The Kid. That's not good. It's not good. Man. He well, does. he was trying everything. He was. He does Unbreakable, and he's great in that. Yeah, yeah. But, and then, like... He has such an interesting career. Yeah, his two thousands is
2: is not good.
1: Um, it's sixteen blocks hostage, yeah, which is Die know, Hard. That, there you go. Hostage that. is actually pretty good. There are a couple of like, yeah of highlights. Once part. he does not Die Hard four, that it that feels like it's over. Yeah, because after that it and surrogates the video stuff. Yeah, and he just kind of meanders, and and just, it sucks because it felt like he was on a, a good path. Yeah, the reason I bring him up with this is because. He is
2: simultaneously he's good. He's good in this movie. He's fine. He's also feels like badly miscast and he overpowers. like when he's in these scenes I'm it's like that's per- John McClane. It's like, his persona. Yeah. It's like you it's, it's like if
1: you were to cast Arnold Schwarzenegger in this part. Like but you see right, what I'm saying? But yeah. It's like it's like yes, Bruce Willis is an actor, but I think of him more as a movie star. Right. Like if you put like George Clooney in this part. It's like this guy could figure out anything. It's weird. <laughs> so, like,
2: I—that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, why they end up casting him? Because they yeah. don't use him in the marketing. So it's like usually when you when you right. cast a person like this, like you want to get a bump from it, but it feels like like they negate that immediately. So it's it's just weird. It's one of those things where like like I I, I was thinking about what you were saying like with other I was trying to think of other people that like would be overwhelming this like okay. Robert De Niro. Robert Robert De Niro. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? No, yeah. I can't
1: imagine. I, like I, that would it, be insane. It, yeah. It would just it's Jack Nicholson. Right. Yeah, wow. <laughs> like these are great actors, but they have a persona about them. Right. And it just makes it hard to buy them in certain roles cuz
2: this movie's built upon great like, they're not even A-list supporting actors. These are, like, reserves that come in to fill... The guy th- from they... Teenage
1: Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, oh, okay. Damn! <laughs> damn! What was his name? Charles?
2: <laughs> Charles,
1: uh... Pennypacker? I don't know. Pennyworth. Pennyworth! No, wait, that's Alfred. But that's Alf- But that's Alfred Pennyworth. Pen- Penny... Pe- so there's Chief Stearns. Charles Pennington. <laughs> Charles Pennington! <laughs> that's it. A- Pennington, I thought we had a deal. <laughs> but yeah, I had no idea that guy had been in another movie. Because I was like, I remember watching it and I was like, is that the guy from Ninja Turtles or is that Stephen Toblowski? What's funny <laughs> though is
2: IMDb doesn't respect this as like a, a true Jay Patterson role. Because you know, like if you go on IMDb, like the, the first few movies it shows are like the ones that they're really known for. Right. Generally speaking. That is not one of them. I'm like, dude. This is he only is... the second movie I, <laughs> I know. noticed. him. I know. So it made me laugh. But um i think the last say is like robert benton like is this this is probably like one of his last and he's he's another like he's an he's an he's an academy award winner for director he i think he's got three wins all together i think he's got two for kramer versus kramer directing and writing and he's got writing for places of the heart okay. places in the heart places in the heart place of the Heart, place in the heart. i forget the one with sally field yeah He's got three Oscars, and he was a classic. If he's if he has got a movie on that poster, they're slapping that Academy Award winning, oh, of course, director because you don't know the name, right? Oh, right. this guy won an Oscar. Who the hell is he? this? I mean, his best movies clearly like are movies about family struggles, like the family unit. The classic American family unit has is is in trouble or has been dissolved, and we're trying to figure out what happens after it. What's interesting is watching like when directors like him like, like what what some of his stuff afterwards, like he does another movie with Newman. I told you about Twilight. Twilight. It's a weird like noir movie that again, like is in this uh, vein of like, this is going to be a rated R adult movie and it just never really comes together. I remember it came and went. The one that, so the quintessential one that I just wanted to bring up just here at the end was when Robert Benton, like this would be like 10 years later, he does the human stain. Are you familiar with the human yeah, stain? Yeah, I remember that movie. Yeah. Uh, so the poster is like, here you go. Like, do you want to, do you want to, you want to, cri- you want some criteria Oh, stuff? no, not that. <laughs> this is from Academy Award winner Ro- Robert Benton. Academy Award winner Anthony Hopkins. Academy Award
1: winner Nicole Kidman. Team uh, Choice and, Award winner. And Academy Award nominee, Ed Harris. I, isn't that weird? They never put the nominee in, in between the award winners. Not,
2: so this thing's like, and like... It, it's funny is they basically took Nicole Kidman's same pose from to die for, but put it on this oh. poster. It's the same thing. Oh my God. The movie though, like it, it's one of the, like we talk about casting, like things that are maybe not great in this, <laughs> the casting choice in this, like boy, they make a choice because the whole thing comes down to, um, well first of all Anthony Hopkins and Nicole Kimman are uh, once again another type of Newman and Griffith they're having a Yeah, that a one thing. I don't buy. Yeah, no. 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 It, but I do buy that Ed Harris is the crazy ex-husband. I, cl- I well, yeah. 100% buy History that cuz I mean <laughs>
1: Ed Harris can do almost
2: anything. <laughs> I know. Yeah. The best part about the movie, I if I remember this right, is that it comes down to this whole thing about identity, about like how you identify yourself. Because I believe Anthony Hopkins' character is actually an African American. And, and that's the thing. Like he, he chose and like to identify cause, but like he was born of like, he was born of, of, of a mixed family, but he so, looks like Anthony Hopkins, but he looks like it. So like when they show him as a younger, a uh, younger person, like it, that person, like I, it fits this character in the, in the journey they're going to go through. But when he grows up to be Anthony Hopkins, like you lost me. It doesn't make sense.
1: So what is the human stain? Uh, is it like uh, a stain on the soul? I think I think that's where we're leaning with this. Like okay. it, it's
2: it's like I'll be honest. I saw it that one time because I was hyped for it. I was like, oh, this has got to be this has got to be good, right?
1: It's not. It's awful. Well, Anthony Hopkins's 2000 period is a whole other exactly. Episode. But like, His, when, what a weird 2000. That poster is brilliant because I'll tell you, if you don't oh, know oh. any better,
2: you're like, oh yeah, this is gonna be loaded up, but. The load it just made me laugh because it was one of those situations where, like, I was so hyped because also it was Robert Benton, mm-hmm. who I knew had done Nobody's Fool, and who got, he he got nominated for the writing for Nobody's Fool, and I'll admit, I don't think, I think the writing is dated. Like, I was joking with you about the quippy, like, exits of each scene where, like, Paul Newman will, like, say something witty or, and then just leave.
1: Oh, well, so this is along the lines <laughs> of what you were saying about how this is like the serious older brother of grumpy old men. Yeah, yeah. yeah kind of yeah and and so cuz like i i feel
2: the bitter cold like when i watch it absolutely <laughs> Just, oh, right, grumpy old man
1: well and it's that's one thing you mentioned it earlier i think people miss this a lot of people like to give like instant credibility to a movie that doesn't deserve it by saying that it's this actor's unforgiven or or this that's this i you trying to say I'm am saying <laughs> I'm, I'm saying you're right <laughs> I'm so so people say that about logan um, um. There was a movie that just came out. I can't remember what it was, but they were like, "This is somebody's oh, Unforgiven." Um. Um, what did I say that that I think I made fun of this by saying that Dolomite is my name is Eddie Murphy's <laughs> Unforgiven because <laughs> it's such an overused cliche. Because if it takes pl- if it's an old if it's a late career like like showcase for the acting and there's some kind of revenge or desert setting that 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 seems to get the the Unforgiven claim. So but the thing that everything forgets is what Paul Newman and Clint Eastwood go through in their movies is that, like you said, the one thing that I think makes it an Unforgiven type movie is that it could be a follow up, a hypothetical follow up to a movie that he yeah. did thirty
2: or forty years prior. I was so. Uh, who would you want to see do that type? Of, uh, the Unforgiven type of in the when and by definition we're talking about the. A movie that could be plugged in as a sequel to something they did earlier in their career. And and they don't have to be like at that point now, but in the future. Who do you want to see get that movie? In the future? Yes. Keanu Reeves. So I was going to say Tom Cruise. I would love to see what is an Ethan Hunt in his 60s or 70s, that type of character, who can't do that, but wants to do that, and then has the, like, you know what I mean? Like, has who wants to be in this position of action. Not
1: necessarily, like, saving the world, but, you know, like, an action-oriented person. Who See, I would can't. never I would never think of Tom Cruise because the guy's 60, and he just won't stop. He just won't stop. Oh, I remembered what the other Unforgiven movie was. It was the last Rambo movie. Oh, yeah. Rambo I mean. Last that's, Blood. That's it, that's it. Yeah, so this was an Unforgiven first I think the Reeves one would be
2: interesting, especially if, like like he has so many different
1: types of action characters.
2: You it, it's see it's hard because by the time the 90s are wrapping up and the 2000s kick off, there are no more movie stars that gravitate toward archetypes where they're identified by archetypes. Like Clint Eastwood uh, was identified with a certain brand of movie, a certain type of movie, a certain character, right. and because uh, he played, you know, basically this comes down to if you played the same quote unquote the same character in every movie, you would probably qualify for an unforgivable movie. Oh, absolutely. Movie. But I, there definitely comes a period where, like, a, a, the next generation of actors, are like, nope, they want to go do all these different. Like, you imagine, can you imagine a Johnny Depp unforgivable? Like, what? What
1: is that? What is that? What is an old man Depp movie? <laughs> <laughs> What is that? I don't know. Like, does Tim Burton <laughs> even direct it? Or is it like a Tim Burton knockoff guy? Tim like a, Burton is like
2: a, a, like a third producer on it. <laughs> He's like, I came in for a cup of coffee. He,
1: I had script approval. <laughs> yeah, that ought to do it. I, um, I, I oh,
2: God. Cause, cause, all right, cause think about this. Like, what if you ha- like, I-, I think a cruise would be interesting because if you think about like, not literally like what his family situation is a mission impossible, but a person who's that consumed with like doing all these different things around the world, like how peril, para-
1: like how terrible must their family life be at home? Like this, how- this would be the ultimate Tom Cruise has to learn how to become Tom Cruise. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. He's got to like, not just become Tom Cruise, like in all the other movies, but he has to become the Tom Cruise that he used to be. Uh, it would be interesting uh this but or you're more how about
2: take it even further tom cruise cannot be tom cruise in this movie he has he can't do that he has to be something else he has to grow like he
1: well this he, sounds like a different movie well that that's the thing though like in the end of these movies like they have to like like is he going to save something because he no, can't save the world. No. that would be. That would, can he save see, himself? That, that's where it has to go. usually that's, he that, that's where it has Did to he go. Did he save his because, soul?
2: Because if he ends up saving the world, it's just like any other. It, it ends up becoming like any other one of those movies. Like the cool thing about these Unforgiven movies for like these actors is if like they rise to a higher plane. Like because the cool thing by the end of Unforgiven is like he doesn't. Like it's not like Clint Eastwood wants to be. Like, William Money does not like, he does what he does, and it's a glorious third act. Oh, it's amazing. But then he disappears completely. He's like, no, no, like, I'm not, he doesn't go back to that life
1: where he could very easily, like, be probably still viable. But no, he, it's just so complicated because what Unforgiven also is, is it's a, it's almost like a, a, a critique of the movies that Eastwood used to make. Right. And that's not what a lot of these movies are. They, they don't get go these, that deep. They don't, they don't go that deep. Like, you know what? Maybe we were a little irresponsible when we made these movies. Like, in terms of,
2: I don't even think nobody's fools that deep. I won't say. I don't. Think no. It, I don't but, think it's a critique on his. But but know, I think it's the closest it that I've get, seen. Yeah.
1: See, so yeah, since Unforgiven, because I mean, there's nothing to look back on and go, yeah, that might have been a little gratuitous, yeah, or something. Yeah. But because that's what Unforgiven kind of is. It's a it's a Clint Eastwood who very reluctantly has to do a job. Yeah. Like, does not want to shoot a gun. Doesn't want to do right. anything. Right. And that's what a lot of these movies miss. And you're right. Like a lot of these actors, they bounce around a lot. You know, like we don't have anyone like, I'd say, like a Steven Seagal or a Jason Statham. Mm -hmm. Or like, yeah, it just doesn't really happen like that anymore. Where you have these like action movie vehicles for these guys. Keanu had that for a while and then he did The Matrix and it completely changed. Right. So. Tom Cruise would be interesting. Like, I want to say Kurt Russell would probably be interesting, but... You know why I, I thought of him.
2: I feel like he just, he would play a supporting character in any of these movies. Like, because, like, I just, he doesn't, like, I... He could be the old writing buddy. He was always, like, he's he's a quintessential, he became a plug-in guy. Like, for a lot of movies. Like, you know, he ends up, like... Like, what
1: kind of movie that used to be made that isn't made anymore is worthy of a critique? Yeah. You know? Like, because like, I ha- I just had a thought. I was like, well, Kevin Costner would probably be good for this, but oh what God. kind of movie? Like, because Kevin Costner basically tried to become Clint Eastwood right. <laughs> with his oh, westerns. Right. Right. And it just, it, Unforgiven has lots of interesting things to say. Logan has nothing interesting to say. So I have, here is a not, this isn't,
2: this was, this was one that was, I don't think was successful. And even though, like, it, like, um, it was it was billed to be one of these was Burt Reynolds' last movie. The, yes, the, the, the last the last movie
1: star. It's not, yeah,
2: not very good. It no. was an attempt to be, uh, you know, a, a, like it literally like he is playing Burt Reynolds just under a different name, right? Because they literally showed cause the they show. Footage Sch- them. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't gotten around to it, it yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, it, it's a it's a tough it's a tough mark to hit. But you know, this movie hit it overall. I would say, like, you know. I'd love to tell you that I feel like Newman deserves the Oscar over Hanks. I think it's undeniable Hanks gets the Oscar for this year.
1: I undoubtedly. Do th- I do think Newman might have had it if it was 95. Yeah, oh absolutely. I, I think I, the, yeah. The more I thought about it cuz who did we figure out one? Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage for Leaving Las Vegas. I think he could and, beat him. And yeah, and Nicholas and that was a crowded field too of not like super great performances but right. like good. Mm-hmm. And I think Mels in there for Braveheart, yeah, I definitely think Newman could have taken it. Yeah. But the great thing is Newman already had one for Color of Money. Right. Very yeah. well deserved. And, Jesus, I didn't realize it until you sent it to me. I did not realize how many times he had been nominated. Yeah. He's like, he's one of the great actors and he really is. He was one of the ones that got the honorary Oscar and then won it a and year And won it again. <laughs> yeah, you know, just out of hell with you. I can still do it. And he's like the best part of Cars. Oh. oh and down. Cars 3. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. That's the stuff with
2: Paul Newman. I love it. If I'm rating, if I'm rating this still to be, gen- I, I think the highest I could, um, I, I, the highest I would put this movie on a one to ten would be an eight. I think yep. that's about as high as I would go. I yeah. give it an eight. Also, yeah. this was a
1: great yeah. movie. It's, I'm, I'm so glad you picked it. It.
2: I mean, those scenes where it's just him, like you know, it shows you that like, you know, even though this was the year of Forrest Gump and Shawshank and like all these movies that are
1: like so pop culture, they're they're ingrained. Like, there was some really strong work that's been largely forgotten, yeah. sadly. And yeah. and I'm glad we went with something that's really good because I think we had a tendency to try to look at movies that either we were fond of growing up with or movies that aren't good. Yeah, yeah this was a rough year but, for like the movie this year 1994 is such a great year that I think there was a conscious effort to go let's try to make it not look so good yeah because like because like, 86 is looking amazing compared eight, to 94. oh it does <laughs> like if you're like wow north yeah.
0: I do
2: think I I I think 86 may be the, the overall really? the best movie year ever and the reason I, I never I hear that, anyone say that no but like look at everything that came out it's not about the award winners or that no like if you look from January to December, like there are movies that are remain with us to this day that came from that year. That year is so significant. Like I get 99's the best movie you ever by that book. I know that, but I want to get I want to get that book. I get oh, it, man. I get it. But at the same time I am feeling like 99's becoming too easy to say that without really like getting into like okay, well what came out? Okay, was well, that really is like it's I like 89
1: 89, I like the summer of 89 Oh, lot. that's the greatest summer ever. Right. I mean, there is no question. Right. 1989's summer is the greatest summer of all time. If you take into account, too, like,
2: in the moment, too, because, like, if, when you say Star Trek V for 89, people laugh at you, but it's like, dude, if you're in, like, 1989 and you know that's coming out. All I, of the Voyage Home. Man, you are pumped. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we got one Great more. Great year th- for sequels. Yeah. We got one more of these to do.
0: of your time and effort goes into three basic things. Your house, your work, your family.
1: Henry, you know those days that can change your whole life?
0: This is one of them for us. For good or bad, it can happen either way today. So, you know, don't blow it. (laughs) No. All three of them pulling you at once in different directions.
2: Every day, I'm behind from the minute I get up. I walk, talk, and think as fast as I can, just to keep my head above water. Wait a minute! It's not even it'll be too. Look, no, listen to
0: me. Ow! If you put them all together, three of them want more than you gotta give.
2: I'm on my way
0: out at 8:25, and I just happen to notice that our presents aren't running, which strikes me as rather odd since we are, after all, a newspaper. I gotta go. First of all, you look fabulous. Your family. I mean, there are people. And so you figure you can get a little human leeway there. I mean, you figure they'll bend.
2: You don't listen, I I listen. You don't see. Of, co- of course I see. I see what?
1: So what do you do about that? What is that, a gun? I told you Sandusky's after me. When did you get so paranoid? When they started plotting against me. You want to run the story? you got five hours until eight o'clock. Go get the story.
2: Boy, what what if these aren't the guys? What if they're inside? We tame them today, we make
0: them look good on Saturday. Everybody's happy. I saw the investor list.
2: You are so good.
0: Do you know how good you are at this? You drive me crazy in here like this. But what are you wearing? (gasps) wrong not for today it's not tomorrow it's wrong we only have to be right for a day
1: people will read this, Alicia, and they'll believe us don't just take a position because it's the opposite of what she says I mean, it's like watching a bunch of sixth graders
2: this is so good i'm running this tonight tomorrow it's fine tomorrow no no, no, no no today
0: tomorrow tomorrow
2: tomorrow don't take the bat out of my hand hun. it's the ninth thing you know what this is it's like i gotta get the quote the guy's not gonna be there all night i gotta get it we rhyme what we got What's going on. Are you nuts?
0: God, I missed this place.
1: The paper on video cassette. Alright, let's let's get down and dirty. Alright, Ron Howard's The Paper. Um so I first saw this movie. I bought it. I blind bought it about 15 years ago on DVD. Crappy DVD, full screen only. You know, bought it simply because I love Ron Howard and Michael Keaton, and I never heard of it. Absolutely loved it. Was just completely floored, which is really strange because I n- I never watched it again until last night. Um, we had a difficult time, or at least I did, trying to figure out what movie to do here, because. I like to also try to cover movies that aren't, that we, from directors that we haven't touched upon yet. But Ron Howard is so good, at least for 10 years, or 15 maybe, if you want to be generous, that it was, it just seemed to make more sense to, pick, to go with this movie over something like The Cowboy Way, which I, that was really hard. But this comes right before Apollo 13, right after, I think, uh, Far and Away was the previous movie right before. And, with the way that the media works and the, and how I think people were a lot more trusting of the media and uh, journalism back in the 90s as opposed to the way they are now, this seemed like a really interesting idea uh, to go with simply because of the media and also of the topics that the movie does handle, whether they're handled competently or not, we're going to figure that out uh, between the two of us. Uh, Will, let's kick it off with you. What is your biggest problem with this
2: movie? uh, Two things, tone and pacing. I think they're
1: uneven. Okay. The whole thing. Now, when you say pacing, Mm -hmm. let's get into that one first. Uh, One thing I absolutely will stand by with this movie is the editing makes this movie just feel like a locomotive Mm -hmm. for the most part. The editing is very quick, but it's not... It's not jarring. And
2: give the cam- camera work, too. The camera like, cause, work. Because it yeah. is whipping. The way, like, it's the, we're not even Across cutting. Across the we're whipping, entire yeah. the and newsroom. You have actors coming in and out with dialogue. Oh, yeah. you, which, this is Goodfellas stuff yeah, 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 we're talking yeah. about
1: here. Yeah, yeah. And it's very ambitious because most of this movie takes place in this office. And when it does, when the movie's in this office, or in this building, it is fantastic, I think. Now the editing helps the movie move along it the movie has this energy that just won't stop and like you said it, there's like an a plot line with the movie and there's about 7 or 18 <laughs> 7 or 18 7 it's or one 18 or the other. <laughs> like b yeah. plot lines yeah. there's so many things going on Now, now tone now, i think this is the most interesting part cuz i think basically what you want to get out of the movie is what is the way you're going to feel about it so and i and i'm I'll try and take it from a more practical
2: standpoint. Like, this is a rated R... Oh, this is a rated This is a rated R film for language, and it's geared towards adults. It's And then it has a problem, though, being, like, how serious are we and how light are we at mm-hmm. times? And I think there, there are sometimes not enough serious parts, and then there's, like, too many, too long, too many extended lighthearted moments. Sure. Or I think we're... I shouldn't say lighthearted. It's not taking itself seriously enough. Like... The f- I will yeah.
1: absolutely say lighthearted. Yeah. Be- that's one thing I always remembered about this movie. When I saw this movie, I had been, I think I was going through, or I had just gone through most of Aaron Sorkin's time on the West Wing. So when I saw the paper, this felt like an Aaron Sorkin movie. its It takes a, a subject matter, like West Wing took the White House. The paper takes a newspaper publishing thing and completely idealizes it and romanticizes it to the point of Almost being saccharine, like like almost like you want to yeah. like almost vomit uh, because the way that the story starts, it's incredibly serious. There is a potential race war going on, which is very interesting. I'm sorry, when in the car is, I mean, there is no. As soon as I saw that that thing, I was like,
2: that is organized.
1: Crime. That's organized crime. Because like, I'm sorry, whitey. That's yeah. Somewhere? Well, it says whitey, and like, so you get so you get these two dead white assholes, like, in a car, and then you get these two black kids, <laughs> <who did it. laughs> two, t- Well, <laughs> when you find out what they did, you're like, oh, screw these guys. So then you get these two black kids coming up, and one of them, uh, I'm sorry, he's stupid, he goes down to pick up the gun, right? and there's this old lady that just, ah, just loses her mind, so, and it's like, you would have heard the gunshot five or ten minutes ago, Yeah, you know, like, there's, why would you think it's him? And the kids bail. And, and, and this is where tone comes in. There is, a, there is this overriding thing through the whole movie that because of something that had happened previously where uh, a black kid had been killed a few days before by a police officer and then this might have been a retaliation for that, there is an impending race war. Like, that's possibly going to break out in New York City. And the newspaper staff couldn't be happier about it. Like, they don't seem concerned at all. Even the black
2: guys. This is a mistake. We're, we don't get enough... Like, we don't understand... Those are stakes,
1: but they're huge. N-
2: but they are never explored or taken seriously
1: enough. We don't see riding in the streets. No, no. Like, the closest we get is the perp walk. Right. That's as close as it gets to absolute chaos. Right. Because this whole movie, this, we should say this right, the whole movie takes place over 24 hours, 7 a.m. to 7 a.m. And it's amazing how much can happen in a day. So you get Michael Keaton, and he's married to Marissa Tomei. And Marissa Tomei is, like, the most beautiful pregnant woman I've ever seen, like, like almost to the point of being like, no, <laughs> like, her hair looks too good. But you got someone.
2: No, no, I was to say like the the thing though, like like is hundred percent accurate. Is the sneezing create like yep, you, you lose oh, sure th- that, that the, some of the, some of the stuff some of the stuff she nailed pretty. It's just I don't, no, I don't have anything else for that. Okay, I'm just gonna drop it there.
1: So Michael Keaton has an addiction to Coca Cola, oh, yeah. and this <laughs> is a weird thing that goes through. The entire movie—it's a, a weird sponsorship. Because... It is a because it's almost an anti-Coca-Cola <laughs> no. movie. Like uh, Marissa Tomei calls it battery ass yeah. right, right off the bat. Yeah. And Michael Keaton does not have any change in his pockets, and he basically drinks all the soda and on the upstairs floor. Yeah. So, so we get this little plot line, and then we get into the newsroom, and we we meet Robert Duvall, who once again, when the movie sags, if Robert Duvall is in the scene, it's going to be fine. Right. Like this is just his magic power. I guess.
2: This is where your end credit has got to be strong. Yes. it's Oh, thank God.
1: It's Robert Duvall. So he has uh, a a prostate the size of what? A bagel. A bagel. That's it. And then we learn that it's prostate cancer. Uh, They don't really say that he's dying, but prostate cancer is never a good thing. He is estranged from his daughter. Um... We get the typical Ron Howard, like I gotta get my family in this movie. Like I told you off air, I'd love to see more development over the Clint Howard versus the AC guy yeah. storyline that's going on through the entire movie. Uh, the whipping, the panning—it is unlike anything I think I'd seen Ron Howard do up to that point. Yeah. And he and he'd already proven he can do comedy really well. He did, you know, he did Parenthood uh, about five years earlier, which was really strong. So uh, you said those are your two biggest problems. My biggest problem with the movie is the entire motivation of the Michael Keaton character. Because I don't think it's clear. I don't think it's truly clear. Because, like I said, this movie is very idealistic. It has a very Frank Capra-esque quality about it. Yet, the Michael Keaton character is not like a Jimmy Stewart character. Like There's a level of cynicism to him. And his whole driving thing in the movie is, we got to get it right. And, it, and Robert Duvall says a line... That says, basically, you only want to do the opposite of what Glenn Close's character wants to do. Right. And he doesn't really rebuke it. He doesn't really fight back against it. Because Glenn Close just wants to go with the story of the two black kids were arrested. And we'll we'll have a gotcha headline. Like Mm -hmm. it's the National Enquirer or something. And Keaton's like, no, that's no good. But he never lets us know why he feels that way. Yeah, you know, it's like, and like you had said to me off air, and I totally think it's a brilliant idea. If there had been some kind of uh, story, like, like like some backstory, where we heard that they had gotten it incredibly wrong, like a year before, yeah. like something like a Richard Jewell type right, of wrong, yeah, uh, with Michael Keaton, and that he felt that he had to redeem himself, yeah then that would've pushed the movie even better. Not that this movie has any problem moving, but it would've helped move him. Because there are times where the movie is moving so fast and it feels like the Michael Keaton character is still stuck and doesn't really have a logical progression of thought. Because on top of all this, he has a job interview Right. with a far superior newspaper called The Sentinel. I even love the set design of The Sentinel's office. It looks so much cleaner and nicer. It was, I guess it was supposed to be The New York Times. Was yes, the idea. that's what I thought, too. Yeah, yeah. And the guy, whoever that actor is, he... Man... You,
2: you, d- want, a you, 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 you
1: want a newspaper man? N- man, this guy. <laughs> like You, you should have gone with the officer from Three Men and a Baby. Oh, yeah. Like, he could have nailed this part. This guy is a clown. Like... <laughs> <laughs> like, there's no other way to say there's it. There's one part where I thought, like, he was,
2: like, he just starts stuttering. Yeah, there it. is one part. Yeah, he starts I staring. think he's on the phone, right? When he and does that. I was that? like, is this a a character choice or is it just like, uh oh, like, we need to do another take? But no, 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 it's good. We can keep it in. It's weird. <sighs> like, yeah, that guy is.
1: He's, he's, all, he's all over. The, good. He's he, like, he's okay in the job interview scene, but it's the phone scene. And maybe it's because Keaton is. Like this is the highlight of the movie for him. Oh yeah, that what that bit. So the, he has to get this job interview, and he wants to take the job. Well, actually, he no no. I'm, I take that back. He doesn't want the job. Marissa Tomei wants him to take the job so that he they can have better financial stability. Yeah, and it's a set schedule. It's more of a set schedule, which... dude. When he said nine to five, like like more money, set schedules, like <laughs> take it. Oh yeah, who cares about integrity? Oh yeah. It, but, but that's what's so weird is that he acts like the son is filled with integrity and yeah. filled with, with this great stuff. Yet there are constant jokes about stuff like how many exclamation marks do you think we can get on the headline? You know, right. like it's a, it's an ex, it's an exploitation paper basically is what it sounds like. So I think that's a little muddled in uh, classic. What, how do you pronounce it? David Coop? I th- see. I I've think never so. known how to say it. He's kind of like this sometimes in his writing where the characters aren't exactly clear in, in terms of definition. So let's talk about the Randy Quaid character. Randy, Qua- Randy Quaid basically plays a less exaggerated version, and I, I, I must hit that harder, a less exaggerated version of who he actually has become. He's very paranoid in this movie that there is somebody after him. and I. Sw- it's the parking commissioner. It's the parking commissioner. <laughs> and, and when you said it to me when I got here, it makes more sense. He disappears from the movie for like an hour, and it's like they couldn't afford another actor and another character, so they just rewrote this one character to be Randy Quinn. Because yeah, like he goes from being he's this columnist. He's, he's a, a columnist. columnist
2: who's like a, like a good. He's a, he's good at elic- eliciting responses based on what I mean, and he he writes what he feels brutally honest, attacks, goes after you know goes after anyone he has to. That's like you know a, a, what he does. What journalists do, right? You know, you you find where the problem is, and you give it to the public. Like, look, this is a problem. This is this thing. He has a feud with the parking commissioner, played by Jason Alexander. And so, like, he's hiding out in his office early, and like he's hiding in Keaton's office, sleeping there with a gun. Right. And then all of a sudden, by the end of the movie, he's like the conscience of of journalism. Yeah. And like, you know, he, he's the they go full cap. He's got to pull the movie together.
1: Like all of a sudden, like everyone's just like, hey. Eh. So the whole movie, the whole movie rests, and this is my other problem with the movie. The whole movie rests on this deadline, this that I feel like is a phantom deadline. because I, I don't understand how it works, uh, and maybe I'm just stupid, but I I want to try to talk this out. So they have a deadline of seven o'clock, and they they they're either going to go with Gotcha with the two black kids on the cover or they're going to go with some kind of BS train derailment. Yeah, it's a or tra- someone got maimed. Someone got maimed and and the, the conductor then went to a bar and got drunk. And here's one of the weird things about that is that Michael Keaton definitely doesn't want Gotcha, but he also doesn't want the other one. No. So he it's, wants the third option. He wants the third option that they're not really like He's the only one who even seems to be aware of a third option. Right. Yeah. So he wants to try to
2: clear the names of the two boys, which we should say actually. Randy Quaid puts him onto the trail of it. He's like that. He's like he was listening to the scanner. Okay, this is one of those things. Do they have access to this kind of stuff? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I feel like I've, I feel like this is fairly prevalent. Okay.
1: I think. Like, I was just wondering because it's like a, I've heard this before. Like, in... It makes sense. I mean you can buy a scanner. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense and, and Randy Quaid is the only guy in the entire building smart enough to do this. Yeah. And so it's 7 o'clock. That's when the decision has to be made. Every half hour after that costs them $12,000 if they don't have the, the prints uh the, to ship out the following morning. This deadline seems to get pushed more and more and more and nobody seems to care. Nobody seems to care about the losing of the money. On top of all that, Glenn Close has her own story going on, where she's sleeping around with that fathead, uh, look, and and or
2: Henry Rowan Gardner's future that's step- it stepfather.
1: <laughs> that's it. Okay, he can't
2: get out of his car because it's so tiny. You <laughs> know that, I, knew Miata, I, knew that I
1: think. Yeah. So Glenn Close uh, wants a raise. But, yeah, so we also,
2: like, she is technically above Michael Keaton, I think. Like, but below like, Robert Duvall. Right. She's, like... a managing editor? Yeah, I th- lack because yeah, he's Metro. He's a Metro editor, is okay. what Michael Keaton is. So, yeah, she's above him. She wants to get more money, because she, she perks up when she hears Michael Keaton is getting... A like, job interview? Uh, getting an interview with the Sentinel. But the and, reason she doesn't
1: have money is because she's sleeping around with the guy... Uh, and they're going like they're they're getting hotel rooms well, like during the also lunch
2: like robert duval says like you're trying to live like the people you're covering
1: that's a great bit uh when he talks about um pablo picasso <laughs> yeah because it took me a second to understand what he was talking about mm-hmm. and he's like oh oh i get you i yeah, get you yeah yeah but but this is
2: such a weird storyline it is it doesn't go anywhere it and is. in fact like boy talk about something you want to take your pick there are probably a few things that don't play well in 2019 like man it makes it really makes the, the attempt of the woman to be successful in the workplace look like absolute garbage. Like, well, when she's, she's getting, willing to stand up and, like, for herself, like, she goes to, why not pull in Ben Bradley? I'm not, it's not Jason Robards, but, well, that's who he played in All the presents, and right. and whatever. But it, here's Jason Robards, the owner of the paper, and she's going to go, like, try and negotiate on this. Sp- this This movie's almost worth it just to hear Jason Robards say that he's gay. Oh, my God. I completely forgot about that. The, the funny thing is, like, that part doesn't belong in the movie at all. Because as n- there's didn't no... You didn't con- have to do it. Well, there's no consequences afterwards. No. Nothing happens between Glenn Close and Robert Duvall afterwards. By the end of the day, she's like, I'm reading the paper. Oh, I'm okay, we'll get to bad.
1: that. I'm having a good time. That's that Aaron Sorkin stuff. Yeah. So... Uh, By your own. Yeah, I hate that line. Uh, but <laughs> that line... I'm making it sound like I don't like this movie. But... Yeah, that line's bad. Robert Duvall, like, actually even warns her. Like, if you go over my head, like, it's your ass. Yeah. And apparently it isn't. Apparently Jason Robards will just look at her weird. Like, you know, another Sorkin moment, like, just this kind of annoying little character stuff is when she follows Robards into the bathroom. And there's this kind of weird, like, awkwardness. And when she walks away, the poor bastard who, like, has the to guy. hand, the towel the hand guy, towel guy. Yeah, yeah. he just kind of looks at Robards and just kind of smirks. <laughs> like, dude, you hate your job. Like like that's that's, it's the romanticizing of every single thing in life. And that's why this movie just feels so much like an early West Wing episode. Yeah. Before West Wing ever even existed. Before the American president came out. Yeah. And it's that kind of stuff and how seriously should we be taking this? Right. And because they keep cutting back to these two kids. And it's
2: scary stuff. Yeah. Th- so they get like three cutaways. The first one is after like it's when they're like Dude, he goes look back. At the paper. Yeah. 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 The second one is when they get busted. The third is when they're going into stay awake. Yeah. Yeah. Which like we
1: never see them again. Never see them again. We don't get to. We don't even see them
2: release. We don't
1: get to see them walk the because like because they they do the walk of shame. Yeah. But they don't do the the, the successful walk.
2: No. no. Like the movie, like I, it, it's a classic. Like, well. It's two things. Either it's a classic. Either A, like we're kind of out of money. How can we sum this up? I'll just have the, the the news just say what happened. The epilogue. The epilogue will be given by the person doing the radio.
1: What do you think about like the opening credit sequence where, where it basically starts off like Batman 89 where we're like, <laughs> where the hell are we? And we find out that we're inside a clock. You know, it's like, what was Ron Howard thinking here? Like, I get the, like, starting at 7 is one thing, but right. being inside the mecha- the mechanism is, like, something completely different. I can't, the thing that's so incredible, like, like
2: this movie, like, it, obviously, it is very dated. Like, it's, in terms of... It feels of, like a 90s movie. It does. So, the process of going through a news cycle back in the day of, okay, at 10 a.m. or so, we're going to have a, um, at 10 a.m. or whatever is when we're going to have our, uh, um... Meeting and talk about stories, right? Then we'll have another one at three, right? Which those scenes are awesome, they're great. In this movie, oh, they're so good because that is just like, all right, everyone just be fast,
1: and the and editing's great, and keep everyone gets a moment to yeah. shine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you've got the guy with the chair issue, right? right. Man, this Jack won't go, yeah, Jack and then, and then, yeah, and then and then like.
2: Gone from the you, movie. What about what about Jack McGee? Jack McGee. He's in the movie. Lynn Thigpen, his like I don't want to say his Michael Keaton secretary, but it feels like she's like I forgot like, about her. She like she's so important in the movie, and then she's not because she's never seen again. Like I'll, this is where that pacing thing, but I'll get to that in a second. Like the fascinating thing is like, wow, this would imagine this because I all I kept thinking about was like How quickly you would get updates on this story? By ten a.m., you would know everything. But like you're talking about today, yeah, yeah. Like you know what? Like what would have been interesting with this news cycle is like they learn something that contradicts something they already thought. Like you keep you build obstacles where it's like the story keeps like evolving to where it's like we and that's what makes it like harder to pick. Like do we run the story or not? It's like we have to because it's not right. Well we keep getting things that are changing
1: this story all the time so it makes it like but we have to pick a narrative right and that's the part of the movie that's bothersome
2: yeah and and the movie definitely is uh, and i i didn't think about this till afterwards like it is definitely borrowing from like what was happening in america race like race relations relationship between only a few years minorities and the cops mm-hmm. and the central, oh, park 5, the central park five Park Five, which was literally like right convicted
1: but Did oj innocent. happen at that point O.J., so... Summer of 94, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, so by... The movie was probably filmed. It was by that point. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But still, like, even though it may not have been... It still is a reflection on that period. Like, I mean, there are things in there that are really interesting. It's just, unfortunately, like, we don't spend enough time with anything. Like, the, the movie tries to play off that hyper, like, hyperactive, like, all this stuff that happens within 24 hours... They would get this better with the show 24 clearly they would understand how to yeah. do this
1: much better a 24-hour version of this movie i Have think one. this
2: would be a fantastic series done now if you did like almost did the 24 of it where like you did it like an hour
1: something similar but, but well print is dead
2: <laughs> but that well that makes it even more interesting because like, it's challenging it's yeah, challenging but no it's sure. a challenge for them like how do how do they stay ahead how do you stay ahead of social media how do you stay ahead of uh, any other form of media beyond print
1: well, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I think Ron Howard's production company did do 24. So, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah so, like, I'm, I think like an update of this would be so interesting because journalism has completely, the oh, medium changed. is, oh, completely changed. And that's what was, that's what's fascinating is like they're, they're having to do all this stuff, like to be able to get the paper printed on time and stuff. It's like, that would already, like, Washington Post like nightly oh, on CNN Post. it's just like well we got we got some we have breaking, breaking news, news. news. <laughs> the Washington Post is reporting da, 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 da. like it's it's insane the breakneck pace that we're at with news how can you imagine with how fast this movie tries to go if you try to take that same thing with 10 different subplots and just plug in 2019 this thing would be
1: all over the yeah, place yeah <laughs> you probably would be able to focus on a damn thing and that's the thing that sucks is like this should be Michael Keaton's movie it doesn't feel like it like I mean, he's the star. He has top billing, but this is truly an ensemble. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, he's the general focus, but he's not like the character that yeah it's hard to empathize with him sometimes. Because it truly does feel like he's he's doing wrong by Marissa Tomei. Right. And and it sucks because you don't wanna you, you don't want to boom Michael Key. And and like
2: yeah, they try to add the wrinkle of well, she was she's a she was a reporter on the sun. She was on maternity leave, but she breaks all. the she breaks the case for him. Yeah. Or I say the case, breaks the story for
1: him in a way. I actually love that scene with her and that guy. Uh, I, at first I was like, oh, what is this? But he has that one line that I was like, D- did you find anything that I said funny? No. I don't think she reacts. Oh, oh, oh actually she goes, yeah, she, it, she does that. It, yeah, it's... And, and you can just see this look of defeat on his face. Wow. Well, I was like, that made the scene right there. I was like, oh my god, this poor guy has a whole story. I bet, but uh, we don't have time for that. We got, we have so many other stories. We it gotta is deal with. so fascinating though to see like how, like,
2: like how this when it comes to these movies of like how the sausage is made. Like how, mm-hmm. how is, how, how how were our publications made back like, right. during that? That is fascinating. That's it, what makes these movies fascinating, even if they are flawed.
1: It's, like, it's like a Hollywood Insider version of a newspaper. right? Because like, and, and, Hollywood Insider movie subgenre is fantastic. And I do like knowing how the inner workings of things go. And and, and that's, what, that's the fun of the movie, is basically. Even though it feels like there are times in this movie where it's like, I, I don't feel like I should be having as much fun as I am no. because of the subject matter. Subject matter is very serious. So the, the height of idealism with this movie, and to the point of cheese, comes when Michael Keaton and Randy Quaid get back, and they find out that they're already printing the headline for the following day. They're printing gotcha. They're printing gotcha. And they get down there, and they find Keaton, the, 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 they do that stop the presses thing, which is painful. But fine, like, yeah, I imagine that's a big deal for, for guys like that. But, you know, so Glenn, Glenn Close gets down there. And this is where the movie has a real tonal shift. Because she goes, well, she actually considers it. I'll give her credit. She goes, well, how many have we printed so far? The 25%. Oh, hell no. No, 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 that's way too much. And then probably the best fist fight I've seen since uh, Happy Gilmore and Bob Barker. I mean, it's you can't call it unintentional. Would you funny. make this
2: today? So, like, so I was trying to think, how do you label this fight? I can't call it unintentionally funny because they are
1: trying to make it humorous. They're trying to make it like this semi-humorous exchange, and and that's a problem. Right? It's more successful than it's not because it's if this played today, like he thinks
2: he knocks her down, and it's like, oh man, like like he didn't want you know. I'm sorry, and then like
1: just like he didn't bet me returns, like breaks her nose. Yeah. Oh well, then she does this hilarious like Three Stooges fall, which is just. Here's why I think it's okay. Imagine if this role was played by. Uh, Meg Ryan or Julia Roberts. This would probably be horrifying. But this is the chick from Fatal Attraction.
2: And that does, yeah, it makes a difference. So,
1: and and once again, that's perception. It's just like, I know Glenn Close could probably kick his ass. Yeah. So you don't feel too bad about it. Yeah. Even like, but today, like this would play very differently. And then there's another great Sorkin-esque line with, no, congratulations, you've become what you hate. And just oh. and then like I I feel like we
2: we're talking about like rewriting Randy Quaid to be whatever because like in the audience we're sort of like what are, like we're left wondering like what are what are we doing here and then he has to explain like you know you used to be a reporter you both used to work together and then he went this he way you went right. this way and yeah. it was just like oh man oh like, this, and this is what he means because this, this is this, this is the pacing thing like everything we just talked about is at an hour and a half I think
1: roughly right.
2: Then we have this yep. extra, like, that's right. 20 minutes. They of, don't get to the
1: bar until hour 35.
2: That's it, yeah. yeah. So we have this bar scene where... The movie
1: Robert, feels like it's over.
2: Robert Duvall, who's been, you know, meandering around this movie, trying to, you know... Finding my subplot. He, he is. Yeah. His daughter Maybe didn't it's want anything he to do with him, which he knew was going to happen.
1: He doesn't just, like... It's Paul Newman. You know, why don't you just lead off with, I'm dying. Let's, he never says it. And, and my memory of the movie, he told her. I thought so too, and I, I kept waiting for it. And he then goes to the bar,
2: starts drinking. They makes fun of Jason Alexander. Then they start talking, and then it ties together where, uh oh, Randy Quaid's there. And then this second fight scene, which is,
1: it was bad. Like again, I don't know how like, do you really feel.
2: Like like I, I
1: was wondering like, I was should like, I be s- laughing? Yeah. Should I be concerned? Cause, exactly. Because once again, this is Perception. This is George Costanza. It is. This isn't the Terminator. And this so, is like, we're like,
2: into Seinfeld. Isn't oh, it like beginning? This
1: is like season four. This we're, is like when they broke. Yeah. Yeah. So Jason Alexander was big. At, and by the way, never made that connection before, but Jason Alexander, Marissa, Marissa Tomei. Did, yeah, yeah. So I was like, that's cool. But anyway, I don't know how to feel. And and then you get Jason Alexander like saying those lines that we talked about earlier. Like, like my kids can't go to school. They're embarrassed. Yeah. Wait a minute. So the, the kids' friends know that they're de- their dad is the parking... The now parking we have to feel... See, this is where I
2: I roll terribly. Because I'm like, we're sorry... This is the critique of journalism. Like, the, the is this the
1: ugly side of journalism? Where, like, I'm sorry? Well, like, when... You expect Randy Quaid to go, I'm sorry. No, but he doesn't. He no. goes, nah, that's the name of the game. <laughs> it's just... It's funny how, like, you know, he has his moments of being a conscience and then the other times he's like, nope. That's I'm, why I feel like it's two characters match. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. it just... It doesn't quite click. Anyway, Jason Alexander shoots Glenn Close. And and it's it's like shocking, but no, it's not. It's actually quite funny. Exactly, and like because <laughs> like at first,
2: because what's set up by is like she has the moment where she's like, okay, I need to make the call, I need to do the right thing. Oh yeah, uh, she and she gets on the payphone once again. Crazy editing. Yeah, because like when not you think like. Hey, hey, bartender! Can I just use just use, use your phone? Like, yeah, just use the pay phone. <laughs> makes yeah.
1: me laugh. And th- I didn't think of that, but
2: that's true. What, what's what's so funny is like if this is a slightly different movie. Can you imagine like he shoots her and it's like a vital organ? Like, oh, I had
1: I thought she would be dead. Yeah, because I didn't remember so, it. It and she's like loopy. Yeah, You know, And like Dr. Rance Howard shows up. More and,
2: comedy with the doctor. Like I, I will not sign this form. You can't operate on me until I like, use that like, phone. Journalism.
1: Yeah, and the, I guess Sorkin. I feel like I don't really wrote this movie because this is the worst stuff that he used to do in The West Wing. Right, like with Bradley Whitford's character, particularly with Josh Lyman, it would be so cringy. Yeah, like like there's a point of there's there's good sentimentality and bad. This yeah. is something that Spielberg's wrestled with his whole career. And and when it's good, it's really good. It works. But there are times where you just lay the syrup on a little too thick. Right, and this is one. This is the moment. And it's like, oh, Glenn Close was likable after all. And then that sweet nurse, like, says, can I read that when you're done? Buy your own. Like,
2: See, you know what, what? else? See, the, what would help both these scenes, like, there were no financial stakes for this movie. Like, we're not losing, we're losing $12,000. we are losing 24000 like, like, No one says So, it. when they said, okay, we're at 25%, they're... Why not have a line where it's like if we reach this percentage of threshold, you, we cannot stop right period because 25 percent to me doesn't sound like a big deal right. if But if it might to, be huge let's say they get to 50 percent. if we get to 50 percent we're run whatever is in there is running period. Yeah. That's oh, it. Oh, like if they had said it earlier and then they're, and then like you just say, well, how long does it take to get there? it's like well it take you know so you, you establish a th- time thing where it's yeah. like she literally so when she gets shot like imagine like we literally she literally has like a minute to be able to call them. And get this thing shut down before it hits that fifty percent threshold, or whatever the arbitrary. It's weird because the
1: movie does set up a time.
2: (laughs) It tries, it does, Uh, but it doesn't like follow through with it
1: being significant. It feels like it just kind of like it's it's
2: the third act of the the movie. And the end of this movie, I like, I, I don't feel like, I don't. Sometimes I, I, beyond all the stuff we're talking about, like if you give like a good ending, it doesn't matter because it's like I feel good. I feel like all right. I've, I feel satisfied with where the character. is. Instead, they just kind of do an like a really cheap bookend where you don't like Robert Duvall's ending. I don't like it because like what? So your daughter like you track her down. To her house. You track her. Ooh. So Hagen tracks her down to Hagen her, <laughs> tracks her down to her house, and he sees like. There she is in the window. He discovered she was married, which, you know. And that he's a grandfather. And he's a grandfather. Like, within, like, five seconds, like, like he has the nobody's fool moment. <laughs> <Okay. All this laughs> he lived a ha- whole movie. And then, like, you know, she comes out the door and he, like, he ducked behind the thing. And it just means, I guess it means a ton that she's reading The Sun with the headline. Oh,
1: and I think maybe part of it, like, I will. Because that's the part I do like. Well, he sees the headline. Oh, th- nope. mm, it's mixed. That's true. Maybe that's what his reaction is. Th- that's Maybe he's reacting to both. Who knows? Like, like... And, <sighs> and I don't have a problem with God. ambiguity, but that... Okay, that is a little frustrating. It's frustrating because then, like, he just leaves. But he never says once in the movie what he wants to do with the headline. No, he doesn't say what he wants... He doesn't really say what he wants to do with his daughter either. Like, what
2: do you want? You are dying. Like... Mm-hmm. You do you want to tell her you're dying? Do you want to like use this to have like 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 to to try like get started on repairing your relationship? This would be like this is, this is why you have Robert Duvall in the movie. Like right. this is this like, is the kind of scene dude, he would nail. Tee
1: him up. He is going to kill he could, this. He could have been in Nobody's Fool. Yeah, yeah. sure, absolutely. He could have been. Imagine if he was in Nobody's Fool and Paul Newman was this character. Paul Newman was considered for the part of Bernie. Bernie, Bernie, Bernie. Who Bernie. is Robert Duvall? Robert Duvall. Sorry. So. That is Can amazing. You
2: imagine like like if they had switched it. I'll tell oh, you man. this: if everything stayed the same except King Paul Newman's in it, Paul Newman, yeah. the movie definitely gets better. And I hate to say that because I love Robert Duvall, but boy,
1: if you're telling me that's the figurehead who represents, well, it's not oh believable to me that Robert Duvall sleeps around on his on his wife. Like he's know. got his gut sticking out. Like all right now, I forget. See here, this is. The era you and I grew up in, like Robert
2: Duvall to us is like Days of Thunder and like phenomenon. You know, phenomenon.
1: Like, you know what I mean though?
2: Yeah, the sixth day. We forget sometimes. It's like when you look at him like in The Godfather, I'm thinking about the, like, and he is like a good looking dude who is he charisma was... and fire and passion, like in everything he says. And he just. I, he I, was a good-looking
1: guy in uh, The Fugitive, the TV show. Yeah,
2: okay, okay. yeah, okay. And, and, he and in even, like, even in Apocalypse Now, like, he just pulls that shirt off, and he's just walking around on the beach while the thing's just getting lit up. But I was thinking about <laughs> it,
1: and not to sound gay, but... All right, Robards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm that's what I was doing. Uh, Paul Newman is like the best-looking guy that ever lived. Yes. Right? <laughs> oh, like, from young to old, I'll he you, always looks amazing. has great teeth. What's oh, that name. <laughs> for a guy... Yeah. That...
2: Yeah, but use Colgate. Man, I, I just get so. Do you play tennis? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine Magic If Harrison, dude, if Harrison. Old Ford, Harrison Ford. Yeah, yeah. He would have to be ten years dude, older. Oh my God, I would love to see him. Yeah. Um. I. Man, I just, I just. It, it just left me hanging with that, and then the very end, which is I was this cheesy bookend of. Well, the, the clock. Be, the beginning of the movie is he's he's passed out in bed, and he's only slept three in hours. His, in his yeah. In his in his suit. From the day before, his work attire. He wakes up and he's go 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 go. He he starts to get up and then he just puts the covers over him and he goes back to sleep. He does. It's it's. It, we're trying to. We've returned to stasis, but now we're at a high. We have a higher knowledge or whatever. I guess forward.
1: Marissa Tomei is okay with him keeping the job at the Sun now. Yeah, like exactly. All of a sudden,
2: like, there's because a, she has the Catherine O'Hara scene where like she loses her mind
1: about what oh life Kath- be like. Catherine O'Hara scene. Jesus. I had Kevin, again, and my life again, went to hell. That doesn't need to be in the movie. No, that scene's like because that scene is referenced later on, where where Marissa Tomei says, "I saw myself, a future version of myself, and it doesn't look good." Like, that's all you need. You don't need this. Right. I don't need to know what's going on with Catherine O'Hara. Um, what was I going to say? There is a there is a, a bit of dialogue that does bother me, where she asks Michael Keaton point blank, like, "If gun to your head, you have to choose between the son and me." I don't believe him when he says that he w- that he would choose her. And it just makes Michael Keaton look bad. Yeah. And it's not his fault. It's just the way it's written. Like,
2: again, like all you have to do are some subtle things where it's like, again, I I don't know how this would work on the HR, but like, what if she really liked being a reporter, but Mm -hmm. she gave it up to be with him because he is an editor at that paper and you and that's and didn't want to cross that line of nepotism, favoritism, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like she gave that up. She sacrificed. Right. Like there comes a point where you have to sacrifice back. Like yeah, that, he's never gonna do that. And, and that like no. those are little <laughs> things that like you know you can you can play with to try and help elevate this. It's just a shame because you have so many powerful people in this movie that are great. Like
1: oh, Ke- it's an amazing like,
2: cast. Like Ke you know, you can even do the game. So if, if you switch Keaton and Hanks in this, like, how is it? Is it better? I don't. I don't think so. I don't think Hanks makes the Henry part any better than what Michael Keaton does because Keaton is a- Keaton adds a level of who's. D- who's Who's better at comedy, Michael Keaton or Tom Hanks? Because that's that's a tough one. You have to get back to me on that. I'm gonna have to think about it. Or how about this? If you put Tom Hanks in Night Shift, is it any better? No,
1: I think Keaton is just well, monster. I'll tell you what might be better. You put Michael Keaton in The Burbs. Okay. Because there is okay. a level of danger with Michael Keaton. A well, like I remember they wanted Tom Hanks to play Tooch. No, no <laughs> they. If you're not going to take this seriously, okay. they wanted Tom Hanks to play Phil Connors in Groundhog Day. Okay. And he said, the public persona of me, everyone knows that I'm going to turn out okay. Right. And he goes, you should, and he's the one who suggested Bill Murray. He goes, people not, don't know what Bill's going to do. And that's how I feel about Keaton. I don't really know what he's going to do. But if I see Tom Hanks in a movie, like, I, I definitely know that Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, whatever the hell that movie is, he's, it's not going to end with him, like, shooting the devil back into hell. You know, it's just like end of days. But like, I know that's not a possibility, but Michael Keaton, I mean, he might lose his mind. They even, there's Does even a measures
2: way- get better if Tom Hanks is in the Michael Keaton part.
1: Actually, you keep Keaton in the, in the part, but you give the Andy Garcia to Tom Hanks. I just have him fight. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, Cause yeah. Andy Garcia or adds P- nothing now to that movie.
2: I, there's some, I would genuinely want to see. What? I want to see Hanks as the vulture. Do that scene in the car. Oh, and he turns around and he's doing his eye I
1: will <laughs> kill you. I will kill you. Oh, man. Can <laughs> you imagine if that's Tom Hanks delivering that? I don't know Tom Hanks would never go for
2: exactly. it. Exactly. See, that's where, like, I, it's just fascinating their character, ejectors. I hate to get, I'm not getting off anymore on that, I promise. But no, I it's great. Thought, I just
1: thought it was interesting because, like, is... This, Tom Hanks this never go, never mm-hmm. does Dangerous, he never does Bad Guy. Uh, did the he circle. do Bad Guy? The Circle. Oh, come on! Antitrust. Whatever like, that. The, the, yeah. Man, no. that
2: thing. That thing's like, we got Boyega. Nope. We got Boyega!
1: <laughs> Ooh. Attack the block, anybody? <laughs> no. A little movie called Staz... Star Wars? St- Staz Wars. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, you've seen it. Yeah. Have, have you? Um... Well, Tom Hanks and Ron Howard worked together plenty of times. I, I'm I'm sure it would have been i sure it been great. I will
2: say, like the one thing that's cool is like you feel like Howard figure. I think I think Howard learns a lot. For, this movie is I think it was successful money wise. It did. I fine. think it broke even. I think it did thing. fine. But it you can tell where like he commits. He com he learns and he commits with Apollo 13. Here's the he switch. How to do
1: it. Tom Hanks is in the paper. Michael Keaton plays Jim Lovell in Apollo 13. I'd still. I think the movie's as good.
2: I don't know if I can say it's better. I think Keaton could still hold. I think I could believe him
1: as Jim Lovell. Like even Ron Howard focuses on his eyebrows in one scene. It's during the restaurant scene. Like closes in on him and he's just doing that thing. And it's like real quick. It's also really. I love how hot.
2: Oh man, it's Everybody a claustrophobic scene. Everybody is sweating in yeah. that entire movie. It's so hot, and I love that about New York. Because they like,
1: love, well, they then uh, the, in the ACs out. Yeah, in that yeah, bar. they set
2: it up. Jesus Christ, yeah. in that
1: bar, the way Duvall is sweating. Which Jason, Jason Alexander's hair yeah. looks atrocious. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that ridiculous mustache too. So, any final thoughts? No, I would probably give it. I'm going to stick with a six. I'm going to, just... as much as we've been criticizing it, I got to go. I'm going to go with an eight. I, simply because it's a fun movie. It's just it is fun, fun. And, and most importantly, it's a great feel-good movie. Like, I, I actually feel great after I'm done watching it. But when I sit there and I think about it for a bit, yeah, there are things that bother me. But overall, I think I think it's a great movie. Well I do appreciate, though, is I think he figured out from
2: doing this ensemble oh. what he could do better the next time. And it's and that's what I appreciate
1: about the paper, is that it makes Apollo 13 better. Sure. feel like he... Uh, I do love this movie. I, not as much as I did the first time, but I do. But I will say, um, it's not a patch on Apollo 13, which is probably, yeah, it's Ron Howard's best movie by far. Uh, it's, it's a massive. It holds base. up way better than Beautiful Mind does. It's way more rewatchable. I oh, say. Way, more re- uh, way more rewatchable. Sure. Yeah. this Cinderella Man and stuff like that. Uh, Apollo 13 is. He sh- it should have won Best Picture. Like I, yeah, I, I, hate I say still I, as yeah, much I, as, I, as I love
2: Braveheart and I love Mel, like yeah. I love Mel winning, but I Paulo's a perfect movie. He should have been best director for that. And that
1: and that, and that movie again, great cast. Yeah, like an inspired casting and, too.
2: And minimal subplots, like they kept the subplots to a minimum on there. So <laughs> Liam just walked.
1: Through. Liam, <laughs> hey buddy. <laughs> Did he run away. No, Amanda's here. Oh okay. <laughs> so that's a cool way to end it. Yeah. That's oh no not this one. So that's the end of the episode. The dogs are in. Uh, I don't know who let them out. One, it's
2: just one dog. Let's just let's let's, let's not get crazy. He's You're like per- the size of three dogs. This is, a, this is an audio Sheet. thing. You know we're not doing. You know they, they can't see. He made it sound like you know White Fang and family. Came this in looks
1: here. like White Fang. White Fang. The dog. The wolf wasn't white. It wasn't. No. Talk
2: about a movie with no rewatchability. <laughs> is that the one with Is that the one with Spacey? Or no, that's the one with What's no. the What's the one where Rudy's brother like's trying to like Rudy's <laughs> brother. <laughs> it's the other
1: ass, <laughs> Mackenzie ass. I think. So, oh god. Whatever. Anyway, that will not be a future future episode. Absolutely not. What are we doing next? I don't know what we're doing next. We talked about the well, double pack idea okay, of those so, two movies. I, um, well, more so I'm getting as like
2: it's not going to be necessarily the month by month. We're we're going to pick things that we want to talk about just movies in general that we want to absolutely do it's our show why right do we limit ourselves right. you know, that kind of thing I um, do like I really want to do Magnum Force that was when we talked about that was about another it. one we yeah. did yep. and really. I absolutely agree but what is it the 34th anniversary it's like the anniversary? 39th anniversary yeah. Like, yeah, I don't want to do like a true even year anniversary yeah. as much
1: as we love uh, Dirty Harry oh. um, Magnum Force was always both of our favorites yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. there's it's, so many good things to talk about it's with such Magnum a great Force. movie and how that movie would play today oh yeah yeah oh but yeah, other stuff like the the 2-pack combo the two-pack for Craig. Combo. Ba- the Craig Baxley, the Craig, Craig Baxt- Baxley? <laughs> yes. Is that it? Uh I Come in Peace and Stone Cold. A movie that we were both talking about one day together without realizing that the they were both directed by the same guy. Amazing. So, that was an instant episode idea. Another one I uh, I missed doing uh Hit Pack Miss Pack. Yeah. I missed that. That those are those are a lot of fun. Uh but basically, yeah, we were we were going to do I my, my plan was to do one more of these when did that come out? But yeah, I think it's. I think we've. It's much more fun to just delve into things that we love to talk sure, about sure. without limiting ourselves, and, and maybe talk about current things. Fried green and tomatoes, and uh, with with steel magnolias. I mean, you, right, right there we go. I mean, that's the double pack. I will say Jessica Tandy, great third act of her
2: career. Yeah, she had the and underrated Weeche thing. Yeah. Oh, or like now the, that's a,
1: And aren't they married in Cocoon? I
2: think so. Yeah. Boy, so, they're so cr- they got to share. Cr- it. Cr- yeah. Yeah. Anyway,
1: that's fun. Anyway. Check us out Al, on Twitter at RealChangePod. I am at CM underscore stabs. I'm at William Rinken83. And we will see you next time on the Real Change Podcast.